You're listening to 102.7 FM, Radio Waterloo. We're down here at the uh, Kitchener Waterloo Multicultural Festival. Stop by and say hi. Hi, it's Dickie Dugal from Drumbo, and you're listening to 102.7 CKMS Radio. I don't need you anymore. I'm walking out that door. kind of fits me most. Um, A lot of people would say I'm pretty withdrawn and quiet when really I'm bursting with emotions on the inside. So finding um, a page and a piece of paper, uh, paper and a pen and being able to write all that down really helps. Well, it looks like we weren't even on air. So I'm going to go back and re and do the intro. (laughs) No, you're on now. I just realized. Okay, good afternoon. We're back. I'm Jody Swinnell. Welcome to episode two of Reader's Delight. We're bringing together writers and readers of the Waterloo region and promoting a vibrant literary community. We just had a little snafu there, and I'm just repeating what we missed. It's Sunday, February 25th, and you're listening to CKMS 102.7 FM Radio Waterloo, and we have three new authors who will entertain you with selected passages of their work. And our first guest reader, who you were listening to, is Anna D. She's a confessional poet, Laurier alumni, and author of Untouched, a Poetry Collection. She's currently based in Waterloo, originally from Serbia. Her poetry has most recently appeared in Spillwords Press, Sunday Mornings at the River Poetry Anthology, Campfire Poets, Small Leaf Press, and Train River Poetry Anthology. When she's not weaving her poetic magic, she can be found drinking too much coffee at local cafes, finding solace in nature, and daydreaming about a less complicated, less complicated existence by the ocean. All right. <laughs> Thanks for coming in. Sorry about that. So what's your favorite part of being a writer? Um, my favorite part of being a writer is being able to express myself in the way that fits me most. So um, a lot of people would say I'm withdrawn and quiet, but really I'm just bursting with emotions. So being able to have a paper and a pen and write all that down really works for me. And how do you handle writer's block? I just write anything and everything that I see in sight sometimes and just see what comes. <laughs> <laughs> that makes. I also write about writer's block and I have a poem about writer's block. Oh, you're so kidding. <laughs> oh, are you going to read that one today? I will. <laughs> oh, I'm excited because that's one thing I have a real trouble with. <laughs> All right. So whenever you're ready, you can fire away. Great. Thank you. So I'll start by reading the poem Unmapped. There are parts of the earth that remain unmapped unnamed glaciers and untamed peaks, but I'd find it a shame to leave you the same, lying untouched and undiscovered by my healing hands. Tell me, lover, would you let me swim in your unchartered waters and cross your secret bridge? Could I venture and climb the mountains of your mind to uncover your hidden valleys and ancient ruins? I'd journey into the unknown to turn your skin and bones into verse, into psalm, into prayer, into art. Could I be the first to name you, to claim you, to declare you? 
Love has turned me into an explorer, desperate to save you. All right, and the next poem I'm going to read is called Untouched. The first one was beautiful. Thank you. Untouched. The sun sets and rises, lavender skies melting into specks of golden light, into pools of darkness. A plane in the distance leaves a trail I can't follow. My thoughts start pulsing. You are missing. At night, I walk in circles. Dirty dishes pile up. Calls go unanswered. All I do is think of you. On one hand, I count. Just enough reasons to keep a steady mind, though I rarely feel at ease. Inspiration plays games of catch and release. When it's my turn, I write for hours. You are my only muse. Even in my sleep, I am untouched. Unbothered by other bodies, I only reach for you. All right, the next poem is called Like Everyone is Watching. My northern winds are screaming, love me like everyone is watching. In the kitchen, a tea kettle whistling, leave traces every time we're touching. Every light in the bedroom dancing, just to witness your cheeks blushing. I wear your name on my hips all evening, and I feel nothing less than stunning. All right, the next poem is called Ghosts. I ache to see your dark side and your soft side. Show me your raw side, always, not only in the nighttime. I'll take you on your worst day, on your worst side. Come to me with your broken side. I'll hold the light while you unveil your hidden side. And if you have a haunted side or a tendency to disappear after midnight, I'll say, it's okay, baby. Come to me anyway. I've been known to fall for ghosts. The next poem is called Muse. If you can't be my lover, be my midnight muse, my midnight blues. Be my worst kept secret, my open oozing wound. I'm not afraid to speak about all the ways you cut me open. To put this longing on display in front of everyone I know and say, watch how beautifully I ache for you. How I come apart for you. This ink is tired of spilling its blood for you, but there is no other way. I spend all of my days writing to feel closer to you and only feel closer to myself. I speak to you in the language of memory and beckon you like it's my dying breath. All right, so those five poems were mostly centered around the theme of longing and the title of the book, Untouched. And now the poems are going to take a little bit of a turn. Nice. Okay, I'm looking for it. <laughs> so be prepared for a bit of an emotional tidal wave. Okay. <laughs> I'll start with a poem called Thief. Thief. Loving you is returning to the scene of a crime, and all I want to do is confess. Take a drop of my blood, ink my fingerprints, tell the whole world it was me. I wanted to be more than your lover, more than your other, but instead I became a thief. The next poem is called Ghost Stories. My favorite ghost story is the one where you don't go quietly. I want the writing on the wall. If this isn't it, I need to hear you scream it to me loud. The worst thing you could do is disappear without a trace, without a reason, without a goodbye. My favorite ghost story is the one where you don't go at all. But if you must, then leave blood, leave wounds, leave scars, leave something. So when they ask about my haunted heart, I can say, it may look empty now, but my body is proof that love lived here once. All right, the next poem is called Beautiful Truths, and it's very much about writer's block. <laughs> Great. I want to write you the most beautiful truths for you to fall into my arms again. This winter is just exceptionally cruel. The words, they just don't come. So I do what I can. I water the plants, bake the bread, fold the laundry, drink tea instead of coffee. My fingers hover over the typewriter keys for hours at a time, but the words, 
They still don't come. I smell of cinnamon and sorrow. Only wind gusts tap on my window. I swear I'm trying everything to survive these heavy winter nights. I want to write you the most beautiful poetry, but the words don't come. And neither does the sun. That's writer's block um, during the Canadian winter. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Snowman. <laughs> All right. So the next poem is called Ellipsis, and it is actually a personal favorite of mine. So I okay. hope you enjoy this one. Ellipsis. Like a parched land that thirsts for the rain's touch, I want to catch every word that pours from your mouth. Do you remember our midnight tongues on the cusp of surrender with our unspoken truth and you, my unfinished verse? If you choose me now, I'll come to you like a time capsule and love you in reverse because you are my muted desire, a seed of possibility. You are the pause that stretches into eternity. Let the moon be my witness. You are my ellipsis. All right, so the next poem is called Beautiful Together. Nice. <clears throat> come fire, come water. You still burn in me, long lost lover. Could last night's dream be a sign? You left your soul prints on the curves of my thighs. Come winter, come summer. You still linger in me, reckless lover. You've made a wreck out of me like a natural disaster. But in my dreams, I collect all the rubble and light us a fire. And we look beautiful, burning together. We could have been beautiful together. We could have been burning together. All right, so the next couple of poems take a little bit of a more sad turn. Oh, no. <laughs> you're doing so well. <laughs> All right, let's be sad. All right, th this poem is called Emergency. Okay. Ever since you left, I've been a wicked nightmare, a vicious wreck, a haunted refuge, a home for angry men. Honey, I've let all the bad guys in. My sinister sin, I'm afraid there's no goodness in me left. I've become an ancient curse trapped inside a godless church where there's no room for salvation or my deepest temptations when I'm a stranger to myself. I've become so angry and tonight I'm on fire. Tired of being a liar, I call to confess I need you hopelessly, endlessly, desperately. Consider this an emergency. I am the emergency. All right, next poem is called Unholy Gods. Okay. In my darkest hours, I dwell over how I lost you to the hunger of the night, how another body trespassed so effortlessly over our temple and burned our safe haven to the ground. Unholy gods tend to my wounds and kiss my scars, but none could ever live up to what you were or what you are. When I hold my breath under water, it's you that fills my lungs. I feed on the flesh of faceless lovers and ache for you in a forbidden tongue. All right. The next poem is called Tulip. And in the book, it's written in the shape of two tulips. So. Oh, that's pretty. Hold that pretty, up again. Let yeah. me see. There you okay, are. Okay, perfect. Tulip. We take the train into the tainted town we once called home. But my petals have been picked since the last time we spoke, so touch me gently and love me tenderly when we're alone. I'm your twisted, tarnished tulip, blowing steadily in the wind, already thinking of all the ways I can slip through your fingers again. All right. And the, thank you. So the final poem that I'm going to read is called Purple Prayers. Okay. And it's the longest poem in the book. And it's one of the last poems in the book. And it kind of wraps up everything that um, all the poems in the book and just reflections on the self. Okay. All right. Purple Prayers. I found it odd from the start, the way you never stop to stare at art 
or the way you sleepwalk through life untouched by all the things that make me feel alive. You don't weep to songs in the dark or sing when life gets hard. You pass by museums as if they're not worthy of your eyes. Am I? You have no time for books and poetry is strange to you. These conversations are a little too intense for you, I know. You said art never made sense, so it's no wonder why my words don't make sense to you. My mind you find unruly, my poetry unholy, my shades of blue, ghastly. Now I wonder, if I were to paint my lips red and shed my shades of blue, would it turn my words into the purest purple prayers, or would that still be too much blue for you? If I buried my soul with the night and undressed myself of other people's pain, would that change your mind about me? If I became drop-dead red, redder than a traffic light, redder than the blood pumping through your veins, would it drive you a little insane? Would you wear me with pride on your heart? I could be a bleeding masterpiece and you still wouldn't see me. You never stop to stare at art. All right, that was Purple Prayers. Thank you. I can see public speaking is something you're comfortable with, Anna. That's not true. I'm just trying really hard. Oh, <laughs> well, you've done a wonderful job with so much passion. Uh, that was really great. Thank you. Thanks so much, Jody. Thank you. All right, we have more stories worth waiting for, so don't change the channel. Next, I'm pleased to introduce Christopher Melke. Christopher is the co-author of Victory Lap with Riley Alexis Wood, the sole author of Losing Hit Points, as well as sev several short horror and fantasy stories that have appeared in Nocturne Magazine and Body Fluids, among other publications. As a one-time teenage Kitchenerite, Christopher credits growing up in the KW area for many of their best characters and ideas. Thank you for being here. I expect you're quite skilled with such a rich bio. <laughs> That's the hope. <laughs> so how long have you been writing? I've been writing pretty much forever. Like I started writing to get revenge on uh, kitchen, uh, uh, kindergarten bullies. That, like I saw them picking their nose and pushing over girls and it made me real mad. So I turned them into comic book villains and I just kind of never stopped. I love um, it. 
I've killed a few characters in my books just because I was like, oh, this Jimmy guy. <laughs> I think that's who I'll name the next victim after. So that gotta, makes a lot of sense. Got to write what you know. And if you know rage at injustice, you just got to take action. That's right. Only on the page. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. And what's the most difficult part of writing for you? Um, just kind of believing that what I'm writing is worth writing. It's, it's all imposter syndrome all the way down which is why I crave endless validation. And if anyone wants to leave some reviews on any of my books, I would be forever grateful. Well, I'm very excited. Christopher has gifted me his book, so I'm going to be posting that on my socials as well to help out with that. And I had one more question for you. What keeps you motivated? Oh, just wanting it so bad. I just want to be a writer so bad that I, you just have to make it happen. And one day I hope that I can do nothing else and just <laughs> sit at a desk all day long. That's the dream. It's a grind, right? Yeah. Yeah. You just keep leveling up. Awesome. So whenever you're ready, let us know what you're reading and you can go ahead and proceed. I will be reading the first chapter and a half of my new novella, Losing Hit Points, which is a queer YA romance out from Lorimer which is a small Toronto press. Excellent. All right. Chapter one. An elf walks into a cafe. I'm finishing the new issue of Daredevil when my cousin Hamish spills coffee on his shirt for, like, the tenth time. Why does Clive let you drink anything but water, I say, scooching the comic away from the dots of whipped cream on the counter. You're cursed. Hamish brushes his fingers over the brown stains on his shirt, a white, short-sleeved button-up with a cacti pattern. It was a nice shirt this morning. Clive lets me do whatever I want because I'm the best at upselling. Because you do nothing but read comics. I'm sorry, Journey. Is reading comics not cool? Are you not reading a comic as we speak? Did you not beg me to get you a job in a comic store? I did literally beg Hamish for this job. And when he said no, because it's a small place, because there are fewer than five employees, because Clive wouldn't appreciate Hamish asking for a favor, I used my special move. I told our moms. Not my proudest moment, but I can't deny the results. More than a comic shop, more than a board game cafe, Limited Series is a one-stop shop for nerd stuff. The kind of place I dreamed of as a kid, full of toys, comics, board games, and t-shirts. This is actually where I bought the hat I'm wearing, a red King of Coats toque with the series' iconic cufflinks of clarity, four small silver diamonds that form one big diamond. King of Coats is a part of my DNA, an instant nostalgia switch on my heart, and probably the reason I'm a big nerd working at a comic book store. We're in the South End, far from the foot traffic of downtown, and not near enough to the University of Guelph campuses to ever really be busy. The only customers here are Greta and Nathan, Hamish's longtime friends and roommates, sitting in the dining area and waiting for D&D to start. How many paperback sales turned hardcover sales do I need to be as great as you, oh mighty Hamish, I say as Hamish dabs his shirt with a crumpled ball of napkins. You simply could never. There is no other quite like me. Yeah, that checks out. Hamish takes another sip of what must be his fifth latte. More coffee spills down his chin, dripping from his ginger beard onto his round belly. He drinks more coffee when he's anxious, which only makes him more anxious, and I'll bet money this isn't his last latte of the night. I set the issue of Daredevil back on top of my to-be-read pile. I'll have to find out how Matt Murdock and Electra mess up their relationship yet again when I'm out of the splash zone. Do you need a bib? I ask. I'd wear a bib and make it look so cool, don't you test me. I believe it. There's a style element to being publicly queer that I, non-binary and bisexual though I am, just don't understand. I dress like every straight boy nerd I know in my graphic tees and jeans, but I'm trying to be less basic with my open navy waistcoat. Baby steps. Hamish, on the other hand, pulls together the most fashionable outfits with half-off thrift store finds, even though when I go to the thrift store, I only find t-shirts with wine mom slogans and pants that don't fit. He's like an alchemist, turning lead into gold, except the alchemy is his natural confidence. Even at four years old, Hamish refused to wear dresses. He told his parents, teachers, and bullies that he was a boy and would be treated as such. That's how confident he's always been about who he is and what he wants. It shows in everything he does which makes it weird how nervous he is about tonight. You're going to do great, I tell him. You don't know Nathan like I do, Hamish says, stubby fingers raking through his blue undercut. I let him beta read a short story for me once, and he tore it to shreds. Literally, he printed it off himself and ripped it up in front of me. He hated it so much. I've never met a harsher critic. 
Offline, anyway. I'll be here to back you up. Please, you couldn't back up a car with a rear camera. You're a wallflower. I'm doomed. The front door opens, and an elf child enters limited series. I mean, a child dressed as an elf. Melting snow flattens their long black hair, dripping from the curls, framing their chubby cheeks. They bump into the life-sized cutout of Tom Holland as Spider-Man, and apologize to him as they prop him back up. Their long green cloak brushes the snowy heels of their boots, soaking the hem. Dark brown ears match their skin tone, but not their proportions, sticking out in a way that makes them look like one of those cute little desert foxes. They look kind of familiar. Hi there, Hamish calls, setting aside his napkins. How can we help you today? Um, hi. The kid looks at their boots, their fingers playing with a loose thread dangling from their cloak. I'm here from Dungeons and Dragons Night. Is that a thing? Another party member. That sure is a thing. A thing that starts in 15 minutes. We'll be setting up at that big table over there if you want to sit. I just need to wait for my sister. She's... Oh, there she is. Rumor, come on. My heart skips a beat. I do know this kid. I've known him and his sister most of my life. In walks my ex-best friend, Rumor Gatwa. Chapter 2. The Psychic Damage of Pure Awkwardness Seeing an old friend shouldn't make me struggle to breathe. Or make my heart pound like I'm running a marathon. But it does. She does. Rumor's long black hair flows from the top of her high ponytail. Gelled edges curl in semicircles on either side of her forehead. Snowflakes melt on her warm brown skin, beads of water rolling down her cheek. She's wearing long press-on nails, the same hot pink as her shirt and her puffy winter coat. For a long moment, Rumor takes in the store. Her gaze flicks from the giant stuffed spider, Shelob, hanging in the corner of the entryway to the seven orange dragon balls dangling by fishing line over my head. She stops at our stuffy collection of Sonic the Hedgehogs, Stardew Valley Junimos, and Dragon Quest Slimes. Her wide-set amber-brown eyes glitter in their pools of pink eyeshadow. She looks like a sailor stumbling upon the Fountain of Youth. I know that look. I'd worn that look. Limited series really is nerd heaven. But then her gaze settles on the cash register. At me, behind it. And I guess limited series might actually be nerd hell, depending on how the next couple hours go. I grab Daredevil like a lifeline. Should I hold it in front of my face and pretend I don't know her? That I'm not even here? I'm already rolling ones in both charisma and stealth, not to mention acting like a functioning human being. I don't know what to do with my hands. Breathing feels weird, and I can't stop thinking about it, which only makes it feel weirder. Hey, Hamish says. You joining us for D&D? Under duress, Rumor says. Out of the corner of my eye, I can tell she's looking at me. I don't return the eye contact. My fingers dig noisily through the box of open fidget toys on the counter, something I regret doing immediately on account of the noise. But now I have to grab a fidget, because not grabbing one would be so weird. I don't know what duress means, Ian says, but I'm pretending it means heck yes and I'll love it. D&D isn't as scary as it seems, Hamish says. There is a little improv acting, a little random chance, and a little math, but mostly it's just us hanging out and telling a story together. I flick a Legend of Zelda Hylian Shield fidget spinner. I don't know how much she's changed, but the rumor I knew loved telling stories. I just don't think telling stories with me is a great selling point. But she says, might as well, I did spend an hour making a character. That's the spirit, Hamish says. I was just telling our young elf here that we'll get started in a few, right around the corner. Can we get you anything to snack on while you wait? You could even roll a d20 and let fate decide. Hamish slides a laminated menu and a blue gem-like d20 toward them. I don't know if I trust my luck, Rumor says, as Ian snatches up the menu. Fair enough, Hamish says. A critical miss is Halloween candy from who knows when, so... Scanning the pun-filled menu, Ian's eyes light up. He holds it in front of his sister. What's a solid milk snake? It's a Metal Gear joke. I mumble, flicking the shield. And an actual milkshake, Hamish says. It's a stretch, Rumor says. Stretching wordplay is part of our charm, Hamish counters. No snakes were harmed in its making, though it is nearly solid. I want one, Ian says. Can I get one? Hamish waggles his blue eyebrows. See, the charm must be working. All right, one of those for him, Rumor says. And I'll have a haystaga, please. Legally, I need to warn you that has three shots of espresso. Really? Ian asks. No to the legality, Hamish says. Yes to the caffeine. 
Rumor slides 20 bucks across the counter. I'll need it if I'm going to brave the fast-paced world of tabletop role-playing. We're not that scary once you get to know us. Hamish pops open the cash register. He passes back her change and also a palm-sized Mario coin block. Mine, Ian says, snatching the block. Watch it with those grabby hands, Rumor says. Put that on your table so we know where to bring the drinks, Hamish says, even though the cafe is basically empty. See you out there. Rumor thanks him, pockets the change, and turns to find Ian at the circular t-shirt rack. With Rumor out of my hitbox, I can breathe again, but my stomach squirms. Now I have to roleplay with Rumor all evening, trying not to make a fool of myself. If it's not too late, considering I already pretended I was invisible. Hands busy with the rumbling espresso machine, Hamish nudges me with his shoe. Why does she look familiar, and why are you acting so weird? Shoot, Hamish noticed. That means it's way too late. Thank you. You're very creative. I can't wait to read the whole book. Thank you. And where can we find it? Uh, you can purchase it from uh, Lorimer.ca mm-hmm. or from uh, a number of retail bookstores and smaller bookstores in the local Toronto, Southern Ontario area. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So uh, stay tuned. We have one more incredible story to share. Welcome back. Our final reader is Jennifer Wilcock. Jennifer is an award-winning author of YA Contemporary Romance and Young Adult Fantasy Retellings. Jennifer is going to read from her book, Into the Forest. Did you self-publish or go the traditional publishing route? Hi, Jody. Uh, thanks for having me here. Um, I actually have... Um, I went the self-publishing route with this book. Um, I wanted control over everything. And uh, so I just decided uh, it was something I wanted to learn more about. And so it was a, it was a good challenge for me. And, and, I, and I wanted that control over cover and what's in the book and whatnot. I understand completely. I too went self-publishing. And I both there's pros and cons both ways. Right, yes. All right. And... Where, what are your favorite books to read? So I love YA, um, which is why I write it. Uh, so I enjoy um, both contemporary and fantasy YA. Um, I just like the hope that's there and the potential of the characters because they've got their whole lives ahead of them. And I do like women's fiction and uh, adult romance as well. Oh, okay. That's, that's a variety too. 
what important advice would you give a first-time author? Just do it. <laughs> right? <laughs> no yeah. more excuses. <laughs> no, just sit down and make that time to write. Yeah, that's very good advice, actually. <laughs> Keep it simple. That's right. All right. Okay, so whenever you're ready, you can begin. Prince Teowulf glared at the middle-aged man who stood before him. After flipping through the man's documents, he slammed the approved stamp on them. He shoved the papers forward with two fingers, then called, Next. A middle-aged woman stepped forward, her blue eyes wide, and his scowl deepened as he motioned her closer with an impatient wave of his hand. Her timidity irritated him more than he already was, which was saying something. A low growl emitted from his throat as he snatched the papers out of her hands. I hate my father. He qu quietly repeated the refrain to the beat of the stamp hitting the paperwork. He pushed the newly approved papers back to the woman. As she vanished into the crowded room, he stared at the line threading all the way outside. A puff of air escaped his lips. The day stretched endless. A cool draft of air wafted in from the open door. The constant arrival of people let in the chilly air, which kept the office cold. Tio didn't mind. The fact that the coolness had the waiting foresters wrapping their jackets closer around themselves didn't bother him either. He turned his attention back to the line, one side of his lip curling up. Let them freeze. Private joke, Prince. His co-worker's bright yellow eyes locked on his as she swiveled in her chair. His curved lips straightened into a thin line, and he growled, Shut up, Maya. His ice-blue eyes narrowed. I'm undercover, spying on the common people of the forest. And maybe you, too. Better be careful. The lie spun out of his mouth. He was incognito. That much was true. Even his father understood what would happen if people recognized the crown prince working in a grunt job. Utter chaos. Girls falling over themselves to get a glimpse of the very gorgeous, very single prince, hoping he'd notice them. People slipping messages for the king into Tio's hands and pockets. His presence would have turned the forest business center into a circus, which wasn't the point of Tio working today. To avoid said circus, as well as make a point to his son, his father had instructed his press secretary to disguise Tio. Eyeglasses and a red wig that covered Tio's very short, military-style cut changed his appearance drastically. Even Tio hardly recognized himself. Discovery wasn't a worry, as long as Maya or one of the other soldiers he worked with didn't let it slip. Yeah, right. That's really why you're doing menial work here at the center. She pressed her own approved stamp into the ink pad. It has nothing to do with you getting kicked out of school for brawling. And there it was, the reason Tio was working here today. His father's version of punishment for unprincely behavior. It may have been unprincely to punch the moron's lights out, but the dude deserved it. The image of the guy getting handsy with a girl who obviously wasn't his girlfriend and who was clearly uncomfortable with the advances made Tio's blood boil. He shook his head. His father hadn't bothered to ask questions when security summoned him to the school. He never did, always assuming Tio was to blame. Most times, Tio's was guilty, but occasionally it was the other guy's fault. Right, like good old dad cares about the details. Or me. Tio closed his eyes. When he opened them, Maya was still gazing at him. She blinked. Maybe you should just accept it and start acting like the prince you are. Like I said, Maya, shut up. He turned to the next person in line, waving them forward. The day was as endless as the line, all due to his father, conveniently declaring all forest papers expired and doubling the work of the FBC on the day his errant son was working out his punishment. Tio ran his tongue along his incisor, his eyes focused on the people in front of him. He straightened, eyes alert. Who's this? Instead of yet another elderly person standing in front of him, a girl around his age, curly black locks, neatly covered in a red hood, filled the space. She studied him with eyes so green they made his mother's emeralds seem dull. Tio's dry mouth forgot how to work. Stop staring. He picked up his stamp. Papers, he barked, 
holding out his hand. The girl pushed them across the counter with a little more force than necessary, her fingers whiter than the papers they clutched. Did she just give me attitude? Tio narrowed his eyes and found his words. Name an occupation. Jenna Rydell Hood, courier for Hood Medicine. Place of residence? Her gaze slowly flicked to the sign above them that stated this was the Forest Business Center. Then her eyes locked on his. The Forest? Was that sarcasm? She better show me respect. His nostrils flared as blood pounded through his veins. How dare a forester talk to him or any wolf like that? Want to repeat that in a different tone, he snarled. Her eyes widened slightly. He sniffed. Fear. Good. The forest. She tugged at the string of her hoodie as she lowered her gaze to the stamp in his hand. Better. Tio slowly perused the half of her he could see above the counter. She shifted her weight under his stare. She was taller than average with a slim build. Remove the hood. The girl shoved it down off her curls, freeing them from their confines. They bounced to life. Her hand shook slightly, and she stuffed it in her pocket as though afraid he'd notice. He did. The inky curls framed her porcelain face, while the blood-red hood accentuated the contrast. And those eyes. When he reached them, she was staring into his once more, even though she risked getting reprimanded for being disrespectful. Again. Feisty. It should annoy him. Instead, he was drawn to her, intrigued. Would she back down? Her eyes never left his as he straightened to his full height of six feet three inches. He spread his fingers on the counter, resting his weight on them as he invaded her space. Wolves are due respect. I could make your life difficult for that little show of insolence. His lip curled up at the corner. However, I'm feeling generous, so I'll let it go this time. I won't the next. He stamped her papers with a loud thump and nudged them in her direction with one finger. Jenna Rydell Hood. He enunciated each word. I've got your number, sweetheart. The girl picked up the documents and turned away from the counter. She glanced back once before vanishing into the packed room. Now that was interesting. Her lips quirked up. His lips quirked up. The day had been somewhat redeemed, at least for the five minutes he'd spent with her even if she was Forrest. His father would have a fit if he ever found out Tio had put up with that kind of disrespect from one of her kind. Next. As an elderly gentleman filled the space vacated by the young girl, Tio closed his eyes so he wouldn't roll them. His small amount of victory vanished like the girl. I hate my father. Papers. He opened his eyes, held out his hand, and sighed. The workday had lasted an eternity extended by the long line of people needing papers renewed. At the end of his shift, Tio tossed the wig in, onto the floor of the staff room, then rubbed his fingers through his hair. After flinging open his locker, he scooped up the wig and shoved it on the top shelf. He reached for his glasses, but hesitated. Returning to the palace with his usual escort was not on his agenda tonight, so maybe he'd better keep the glasses. Hopefully that would at least lower the chances of him being recognized. After grabbing his military-issued coat and hat, Teal slammed the locker shut, the metal clanging. He angled his hat low on his brow. Darkness had blanketed the city, which might help too. Slipping his arms into the sleeves, he stalked to the rear, rear exit, not bothering to say goodbye, as he didn't want to alert his guards to the fact that he was leaving. What a waste of a day. He picked up his pace as he put more distance between the building, his day, and himself. I need fun. A distraction from the lecture that was sure to come from his father when he got home. Gonna delay that for as long as I can. Tio stepped off the curb into the street. The object hit him full force, knocking him to the pavement. His glasses were knocked askew, cracking against his face. He ripped them off and tossed them away. Out of his peripheral vision, he saw whatever it was that had collided with him, divide into two and then hit the pavement hard. Moaning, he rolled into a sitting position and tentatively touched his throbbing leg. Great. He eyed the twisted bike that lay a short distance away, its back wheel still spinning. A groan came from that direction. The cyclist. 
At least he or she wasn't dead. That was all he needed as an ending to this stellar day. He crawled over, his legs protesting the movement. As he neared the body, dark hair and pale skin came into view. The hoodie the biker wore was blood red. Wait a minute. Thank you. I really enjoyed that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Have you been practicing? Uh, yes, It was I have. very smooth. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm aware many people will appreciate your writing, and I've, uh, I've seen you at a couple book fairs. And yes. Yeah. yeah. And you. where can we find your books? So you can find them on my website at um, www.jenniferwilcock.com or on Amazon or any online bookstore. Perfect. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Now we'll just, uh, I think I've got a few coming events to report, so stay with us. I'm just going to play some music for you. on about the coming events, I wanted to talk about publishing since I have a couple minutes. You may wonder what is the difference between traditional and independent publishing, aka self-publishing. To simplify the process, you have a manuscript that becomes a book made available to the reader to purchase. The difference has to do with what you're selling and who's buying. If you choose the traditional road, the product you're selling is your manuscript and the client is the publisher. If you choose to publish independently, then you're selling a finished book and your client is the reader. There are pros and cons either way. If you want to publish traditionally, you'll be seeking an agent or a publisher, which means drafting numerous query letters tailored for each and often waiting many years. Book production and timeline are kind of out of your control. If the publishing company invests in your manuscript, they will retain rights to your book sometimes, and sometimes you can receive less than 10% of the royalties, and you must accept what they produce. Now, with self-publishing, you spend your time and money creating the book, then finding and connecting with readers. The royalties can be high as 70%, but you've invested your money in the beginning and publishing timeline is greatly reduced. 
You can take pride in the fact that you did the work and have the freedom to choose everything from formatting, cover art, pricing, to distribution channels. You own the rights. There are options available, like hybrid or vanity publishing. This is a shady area, and authors need to be wary because there's an entire industry preying upon writers by taking enormous amounts of money to publish your book and requiring you to surrender significant rights. Many bookstores refuse to stock books produced by these types of companies. Small publishing companies are an excellent choice for authors who prefer to keep copyrights and are willing to pay a small expense for someone else to do the publishing for them. Whatever road you take, virtually all authors will agree the most satisfying experience you can have is receiving messages from people who tell you how much they enjoyed your story. Your update on a couple of events worth attending. On March 23rd, the Mystical Witches Night Market. Entry is free, so don't miss the magic. This market will take place in the Rim Park Sportsplex at 1001 University Avenue East in Waterloo. It starts from 5 p.m. and runs to 9. The KW Writers Alliance will be there. Vanessa and I will have a booth, so we'll hope to see you. And on March 30th, the weekend after, at the same address in the Forbes Hall from 10 in the morning to 3 p.m. is the ever-popular Waterloo Spring Craft Show. Also, I wanted to mention that if you're a writer, you can come join the NaNoWriMo, I hope I pronounced that properly, writing group to get some writing done. Uh, It's every Monday, it looks like through March at least, at Cafe 1842 at 59 King Street North in Waterloo. All right. So I really admire our three authors who would like, and I would like to thank them again for taking the time to come into the studio today and sharing their stories. If you've missed anything or would like to listen to this or previous episodes again, you can hear the whole program by visiting the CKMS 102.7 FM Radio Waterloo website. We also have a podcast on YouTube we're working on that you can subscribe to at Reader's Delight KW. Reader's Delight is brought to you by the KW Writers Alliance and will air every four weeks. So don't forget to tune in on Sunday, March 24th from 1 to 2 p.m. for a brand new episode. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Jody Swinnell.
Hello everyone, I'm Wayne Caldwell from here